Good morning. Just want to welcome everybody here this morning. Especially want to welcome our visitors. And if you are visiting with us, we would just ask that you would take one of the uh, visiting cards in the pew in front of you and fill that out. We just would like to have a record of your attendance today, and would certainly like to get to know you better. Wanted to remind you that starting today, we'll be moving our evening services to 4 p.m. And that'll run through the winter months. And as Gary mentioned last week, that is uh, to help accommodate those that have difficulty seeing at night and uh, are unable to drive in the dark. So just uh, remind you about that and would welcome you back uh, at our 4 p.m. services. There's uh, uh, some of our youth that are in Tennessee this weekend with Dave and Mandy. They're at a youth rally at Freed Hardeman University, and Dave sent some pictures yesterday, and they seem to be having a a really good weekend together, and they'll be traveling back this afternoon, so let's keep them in our prayers for safe travels back home. Also, just a reminder that we'll be having a food drive in two weeks on the uh, November 21st, and there's, um, in the foyer, there is a a sheet with the, uh, the items that are needed to restock our food pantry, and you know, the food pantry does a, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of good in our area. Um, we do a, hand out a lot of items. Brian Ward and, and Tanya do a great job of overseeing that. So uh, we're in need of some items to, to replenish that. So just keep, uh, keep that in mind. And again, that'll be on uh, November 21st. We'd like to express our condolences to the family of Mildred Jones. Uh, as you guys know, Mildred's a longtime member of Rome, and, and she passed away this this week. She hasn't been able to be here for some time as she's been dealing with uh, Alzheimer's and some health issues. But her funeral will be Tuesday at Hall's Funeral Home at 2 p.m. and visitation will be an hour before that from 1 to 2. Also, uh, her daughter Sherry Blake fell the other day coming out of the funeral home and uh, broke some bones and uh, so she's recovering right now. So let's keep her daughter Sherry in our prayers as well. Also, we want to express our condolences to Norma and to Tony Blake, to passing of Eric, Eric Blake. And as you know, Eric's uh, had a tough time uh, dealing with COVID over the last several weeks, and he passed away Wednesday night. <clears throat> Excuse me. So his um, funeral will be Saturday at Halls at 2 p.m., and visitation will be from, from 1 to 2. And I just would uh, encourage you to grab a Rome journal from the foyer. It has all the... Uh, uh, information about the arrangements, and also it has the uh, the list of all those, or the names of all those in our prayer list, and uh, certainly a lot on there that we need to keep in our prayers. One uh, a change I wanted to uh, to bring your attention is Greg Lawson. This is Wanda and JB's son. We've been praying for Greg for a few weeks, and he was um, discharged from the hospital and moved to a long-term nursing rehab center, but he took a, a turn for the worse uh, earlier this week or last week, I should say, and uh, they had to put him back in the hospital. So let's just keep Greg in our, our prayers. Uh, Dickie Parker will have our reading and prayer this morning. Jason Stevens will have the table, and Chad Judge will, uh, will have our closing prayer. So as we uh, prepare to worship God, I want to read uh, a couple of scriptures from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we approach you this morning, Lord, thanking you, Father, for this opportunity to be here to 
worship you this day, Father. We are so thankful for you being our God, and we are so thankful for your son, Jesus, and the hope that we have through his death on the cross, Father. We thank you that you provide a way that we can be saved, and we thank you, Father, for the, the church here at Rome, for the individuals that, uh, that make up the church, Father. We are so thankful for each one that's here this morning, and that you give us the ability to be here, and Father, we just ask your blessings upon all those that are in need of prayer this morning. We especially remember those that have lost loved ones recently, Father, for the um, Jones family and the Blake family, and bless them, watch over them, strengthen them, and, and just be with all those that are doing, dealing with different health elements at this time. And, and Father, we just ask that you'd be with us uh, the rest of our service. We pray that everything that we do here this morning will be uh, pleasing in your sight, that will clear our minds of all the... Uh, um, worldly distractions, and we will f uh, focus solely on you, Father, and, and giving you the glory that you deserve. Father, continue to watch over us and be with us. It's through Jesus Christ we do pray. Amen. Let's all please stand as we sing hymn number 220, He Lives. 220. Well, okay. Uh, everybody grab a song, but that's hymn number 220. <clears throat> I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along
Next hymn this morning, number 219, He's My King, 219. And after this hymn, Brother Dickie Parker will have our scripture and prayer. All day long, on Jesus This morning's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 10, 9 through 11. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by servants. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened, happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon the ends of the ages have come. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, 
We thank you so much for, for this day, for this opportunity to gather here this morning, to hear your word and sing songs of praise to you, Father. Father, it is our hope that everything said and done here this morning is pleasing to thy sight and in accordance to thy will. Father, we thank you for men like Chris that stand before us and bring us your word. And Father, we ask that we open our hearts and our minds, that we hear it, that we apply it to our lives, that we may better serve thee. Father, there are those that are in our numbers that are sick, that are fighting disease, that are struggling, Father. And we ask that you be with them and hold them, Father. We ask that you especially hold the Blake family and the Jones family in the palm of your hand during this time, Father, and comfort them like nobody, like no one else can, Father. Father, we ask a special prayer for David and Mandy and the youth that are traveling today, that you watch over them and guard them and return them safely to us, Father. And Father, we ask that you be with the elders and the deacons here. We ask that you give them guidance and wisdom, and Father, that we ask that they follow your word and do your will, Father, that they strengthen and grow, in the, grow the church here at Rome. Father, we especially thank you for Jesus and the love that he had for us, the death, the sacrifice that he made for our sins, that we may someday have the opportunity to live with you in heaven. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 217. 217, He Loves Me. <clears throat> Why did the Savior heavenly have come to earth below? Where in his grace would God receive Oh. 
If you please turn to Matthew 27, verse 27. Matthew 27, 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe around him, and after braiding a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and kneeling down before him, they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him and took the staff and struck him repeatedly on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you today. We thank you for this memorial that we are partaking. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the fact that he did love us so that he died on the cross for us. And we pray that we will partake in this Lord's Supper according to your will and will be pleasing unto you. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Further down the same chapter. <clears throat> now from noon until three, darkness came over all the land. At about three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling Elijah, is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran over and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him and said, drink. But the rest said, Leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. Then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Just then the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth, the earth shook and the rocks were split apart. And tombs were opened and the bodies of many saints who had died were raised. They came out of the tombs after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were extremely terrified and said, truly, this one was God's son. Let us pray as we partake of the fruit of the vine. Dear Lord, again, we come before you thanking you for Jesus, thanking you for what he went through that we may have the opportunity for eternal life, Lord. And we thank you for this ceremony that we may remember that sacrifice each and every week, that we may continue to be grateful, and we pray that you will bless this service as we partake of it now, and it's through Jesus we do pray. Amen. this time we will pray a blessing on our offering. Our boxes are there in the back since we don't pass the tray anymore, but I would like to read from uh, Jesus' own words from the um, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, as he talks about uh, giving. Be careful not to display your righteousness merely to be seen by people. 
Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Thus, whenever you do charitable giving, do not blow a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in synagogues and on streets, so that people will praise them. I tell you the truth, they have their reward. But when you do your giving, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your gift may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let us pray for the offering. Dear Lord, again, we come before you. We thank you so much for all the blessings you do give to us. We thank you for this building. We thank you for the opportunity to come and be comfortable and and worship you, Lord. We thank you for all of the other gifts and opportunities you give to us in abundance. We pray that you will bless this offering that we give today, that will be put to your use, and that you will guide the, the use of it, Lord. We pray that you will forgive us when we fall short of the blessings when you give them to us. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 391. Let me live close to thee. 391. It's at this time the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. In my field I would will sickles brave and true. In the pine for the pine I would care and do. In my days, in my prayers, all the journey through. Let me live close to thee each day. Let me live close to thee. Guide me all. Him for this morning, number 389. 389. Let him have his way with thee, Brother Chris.
Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Uh, back several years ago, I guess it was 2016, 2017, Kelly and I had the opportunity to go to uh, Africa. We, we've been now twice, and it is the most beautiful country. If you've never gotten the chance to go, you should go. Um, we've been to Tanzania uh, two times now. First time we worked in Arusha, this big city in Africa, big city in Tanzania. Uh, this time we worked in a little place called Mtuwumbu. Guess what it means in Swahili? Mosquito River. <laughs> and there are a lot of mosquitoes. Uh, but it is a wonderful place and a wonderful people. Uh, one of our missionaries there, a guy we're still very close to, his name is Gasper. He, uh, he took us to this restaurant while we were there. Guys, it is amazing. Uh, it's up on top of this mountain. Uh, they took us up and I think we rode in a dolly dolly, which is like a bus but they, instead of packing the 10 or 15 people you should pack in it, they, pack, they can pack 25 or 30 into it. So you're sitting on top of each other. And we're going up this twisting mountain path. And I'm wondering, how far up are we going to go? Can, can the restaurant be like halfway up the mountain? Or does it have to be at the very tippy top? It had to be up at the very tippy top. And so we finally get up to this restaurant. And you can look down and you can see, uh, just for a very long ways, you can see mountains and and, and the ocean, and it's beautiful, it's just breathtakingly beautiful. And they, they lead us outside of the restaurant, they sit us down at this really long banquet table type, type table. Uh, and as we look off in the distance, you can see the ocean, and it's, it's just breathtaking. They bring us the food, uh, it was wonderful. The food was just perfect. The scene was perfect, the company was perfect. We talked about God's work and His kingdom and His mission. Uh, while we were eating this wonderful food, looking at his beautiful creation, it was awesome. As we left there, I noticed that they had a dumpster uh, over uh, back away so nobody could really see it. There was, there was a dumpster at this really swanky restaurant. And it was kind of full with food and leftovers and some of the stuff that they didn't want anymore. If you got too close to it, you could tell that it was a dumpster. It stank, you know, decaying food and flies and things like that. I'm reminded as we get into Hebrews chapter 3 today that the silliness of going back to Moses' law would be like us going from this really swanky restaurant that was just beautiful. Uh, the food was awesome, all this stuff. It would be like going from that swanky restaurant banquet table to the trash can to get our supper. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 3, you'll see what I mean. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. This is not the first time now that he's asked us to consider Jesus, to focus on Jesus, because in chapter 2, the Hebrew writer or the Hebrew readers had lost their focus on Jesus, and they were focusing on their own problems. He says that's not how you're going to get what you want. If you want salvation, if you want to hold fast, which is the word in Hebrews. That's what the author wants us to do. He wants us to sink down deep. Hold fast. To do that, you're going to have to consider Jesus. Not your problems, not all the things that are going wrong in your life, not all the bad things, not all the things where it looks like life's falling apart because it certainly looked like that for the first century readers. The first people who would have heard the book of Hebrews 
it looked like and had to feel like their lives were absolutely falling apart. They didn't know where to turn. And here this man is telling them that Jesus is sovereign, that he's in 100% in charge. And they look around their lives and they just don't see it. He says, you're focusing on your problems. You need to focus on Jesus because there's coming a day when he will be completely in charge and everyone will know it. And in fact, every knee will bow before him. And so in chapter 3, he's revisiting some of those thoughts that he's pulled into, uh, into our, our context here from chapter 2. We know that because he said, therefore, early on in this, the first word, in fact, in chapter 3, is therefore. Somebody along in the 1200s came along and inserted these chapter um, headings for us in the verses, but that's not the way it was written. So our writer is just reading, uh, is just writing through this this paragraph type form, and the sometimes the the chapter headings get in our way, and maybe that's that's the case here. But he's not changing topics. He's continuing on his topic. And so he says, therefore, holy brothers, how did you get holy? How did you get holy? How did they get holy? They only got holy the same way that we did. You got into Jesus. If you're not inside of Jesus, you're not holy. And so they says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling. How did you get the heavenly calling? You were baptized into Christ for the salvation of for your salvation, for the remission of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what these people are. And he's terrified. He's concerned that they're going to walk away, that they're going to give that up so that they can go back into a place that's more comfortable. If you want to uh, put a heading at the top of your scripture for chapter 3, you've got two options. It's rest or wrath. Rest or wrath. Because there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground in Hebrews chapter 3. There's no middle ground with God. We've talked about this in the past. It's either complete devotion or wrath. And so what are you going to choose? The option's up to you. He leaves it up to us because of our free will. He says you've got an option. You can choose God's rest or you can choose God's wrath. And so what, what, what will you choose? He tells these people here, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who, was appointed, who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. You're going to find that word faithful quite a few times in this little section here uh, from 1 through 6. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, you're going to find faithful several times. I wonder why. Because he's trying to drill it into these people's heads and into our hearts. You need to be faithful. Tonight... We're going to talk about the next king of Judah. His name's Abijam or Abijah. Um, he's got two names. I'll tell you why tonight. I think I'll tell you why tonight. I think I know why. Um, but he will serve as the illustration for, for what we're talking about today. Rest or wrath. He's going to keep on coming back to this idea of being faithful. Because what does faithful mean? What does it mean to you? What did it mean to them? Did faithful mean half-hearted Christianity? Did it mean coming to worship? Did it mean being completely devoted to God? Did it mean selling Him out? Did it mean keeping it quiet? Did it mean not talking about Him at every opportunity? Because the problem they're, 
that the, the Jewish Christians are coming in contact with is their faith has been visible up until this point, so much so that their friends and their family who are Jewish are hurting them. They've shunned them, and they're hurting them at every opportunity. And so will they continue to be faithful? Will they hold fast, or will they let go and compromise? That's the decision they're going to have to make. And so you keep on seeing the Hebrew writer talk about being faithful, being faithful. What's it mean? Completely devoted to Him. Pick up in verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our, in our hope. So he's doing a couple things here. Uh, underline if. We're going to come back to that in verse 6 in just a second. What I want you to see here is this comparison between Moses and Jesus. Moses and Jesus. We don't want to denigrate Moses. We don't want to uh, take Moses down a, a notch or two. He's not. He is awesome, right? Uh, and that's, that's kind of what the Hebrew writer was trying to get across to him. He says, I don't want to... Um, denigrate Moses. I don't want you to think less of Moses because he was faithful in all God's house, right? But how was he faithful? As the builder or as a servant? Moses is not in charge. It's it's what the Hebrew writer is trying to get across to us. Moses wasn't making the rules. He wasn't uh, telling us how to be saved. He wasn't in charge of our salvation. He was simply telling us what God told him to tell us. It's kind, of, it's kind of what he's trying to get across here. And so Moses was faithful. Moses was good, but he was good as a servant. He wasn't the builder of the house. Now we have the builder of the house talking to us, right? He's already told us that he is that this, this Nazarene who was crucified in Jerusalem about 40 years ago at this point. Keep that in mind. By the time they're reading this, Jesus has been crucified somewhere around 40 years, I would imagine. And so about 40 years ago, there was a Nazarene who was crucified by the Romans. He claimed to be the Messiah. Who was he really? The Hebrew writer is convinced he is God. And he convinces us in Hebrews chapter 1 with these seven titles of deity that he attributes to Jesus. And he's convinced us, thanks to the Old Testament, at time after time already, that Jesus is God and that he has been... uh, talked about in the Old Testament, prophesied about in the Old Testament. And here he's comparing him to Moses. Moses was good. He was a faithful servant. But now, the one who's built the house, the one who is in charge, the one who is giving uh, the rules to live by, the one who would function as your Savior, he says, he's talking to you now. And so you need to listen to him. Even more than you would listen to Moses. We'll give you an example about that in just a second. Chapter, or chapter 3, verses 8 through 11 is the example of that. Look in verse 6. He says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if. Underline if, because if's important. If implies to us uh, that this is a conditional statement. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And so he says, If you align yourselves with Christ, then what? you will be saved. If you're willing to fight for him, he will make good on his promises to you. 
That's our word for today. If you're willing to fight for him, he will make good on his promises to you. Now, what promises has God made to us, right? What promises has he made to us? Well, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, right? But also heaven. And that's what he's talking about here in chapter 3. He's talking about the rest that God offers. Wouldn't it be nice just to rest, right? You ever get just so tired where you think, I don't think I can do this anymore. I'm exhausted. I'm frustrated at myself and at the world. And I just don't. I'm tired. That's where they are. That's where the Hebrew readers, the listeners, that's, that's 100% where they were. They were dragging themselves to worship services. No doubt they were excited to be there, right? We'll see that in just a second, I think. No doubt they were excited to be there. But the weight that they were carrying around with them because they served Christ was bearing down hard on them. They had to be exhausted. So when God starts talking about a rest, that had to sound pretty good to them, didn't it? And so they start longing for this rest. They start putting all their hope in this rest, this hope of heaven, this this way away from the tortures of hell. They're hoping in this rest. And the Hebrew writer says, it's yours. He will come through for you if. That's a word that's kind of terrifying, isn't it? He will come through for you if. You get to avoid hell if. You get heaven if. Well, if what, Hebrew writer? If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. He says, if you're faithful. That's the word he keeps coming back to in, this, in these first couple of verses here, isn't it? If you're faithful. If you fight for God, he will make good on his promises for you. Let's, let me illustrate it. Look down on a couple of verses. Verse 7. Let me give you a very clear illustration. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. <clears throat> He's going to take us all the way back to Psalm 95. Um, the Hebrew writer is very fond of pulling in Old Testament passages to make his point. Sometimes he co-ops those passages to make his own point, uh, separate and apart from the point that Psalm 95 or that Old Testament reference is making. Sometimes he, he uses that point to usher in his point and make it even more profound. But today it's, it, this passage comes to us from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. So you may want to mark, mark down that for, for your study as you go through this week. Uh, this little section come from, comes from Psalm 95, 7 through 11. Listen to what he says. Therefore, in verse 7, Hebrews 3, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. There's that 40 years thing. It's been about 40 years since Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. Now the Hebrew readers are hearing 40 years. It had to ping in their mind. You know, it's been about 40 years since Jesus was crucified. It's been about 40 years since the church started. They're going to identify with this passage. It was intended 
for them to identify with this passage. It's intended for us to identify with it as well. So, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's a text. You never want to be laid against you, is it? This idea of rest that we've been hoping for, that they've been longing for, that they, 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 it's so close, they, they've got to feel like they can almost grab a hold of it. This idea of rest, of being with God, of being away from this and all the struggle and all the, the stuff that comes with this life, they, they're just tired of it. And God's promised rest. But the Hebrew writer says, if, if you're faithful. Here's an example of people who were not faithful. He takes us all the way back to the wilderness generation. This, this is the, the generation of people who saw all the incredible things he did in Egypt. Uh, the plagues, they saw all ten of them. They escaped, most of them, including the death of the firstborn, the, the penultimate plague that brought Egypt to its knees. They saw all those things. They knew. <coughs> Excuse me. They knew that those things were attributed to God, that He was the one who had caused all those things to happen. <coughs> he was clear about that. These are His doing. And so when Egypt finally lets them go, this one to two million worker slave force, when, when Egypt finally lets them go, they get to the Red Sea and then Egypt wants them back, right? And they're trapped. Egypt's on that side. Pharaoh with his chariots are rushing toward them. The Red Sea's on this side. and They don't have anywhere to go. All the way up until God moves the ocean. What are you going to do with that? If you're a general and you think, ah, I got him trapped, and then God moves the ocean. You're like, okay. God moved the Red Sea, split it in half, and they traveled through on dry ground. This is that generation. They saw all these things happen. And then they get to Canaan. And Moses sends these 12 spies in. Ten of them come back and they say, there's no way we can take over this land. Are you kidding me? No way? He moved an ocean. You didn't have to do anything. All he did was walk through it. He moved an ocean. He brought the most powerful nation on the planet to its knees with frogs and flies. And you think he can't conquer Canaan because they're giants who have walls behind them? Are you kidding? Where's your trust? Had they seen what God was capable of doing yet? Absolutely, right? They had seen what God was capable of. The power that was his it had, been, had been on display in marvelous fashions to this generation. But they didn't trust. They said, there's no way God can conquer these people. And so what did he do? I was provoked with them. They always grow astray in their hearts. They didn't know my ways. They're not going to enter my rest. They don't get in. Is this generation saved? Are you going to meet these people in heaven? I don't think so. I think they're condemned. I think, I think they're, they're, they're chained in hell. You're not going to get to know these people in heaven. They did not get to enter the rest. And he's not just talking about the physical rest of Canaan. I think he's saying they're, they're condemned. They're, they're lost. 
He swore in his wrath, they will not enter my rest. Look over in verse 12. Throughout this passage, he's been talking to, uh, he's been talking to the, the Hebrew readers and to us as well, obviously. But it's kind of been half and half. He's been looking back at that wilderness generation. In these next couple of verses, he's going to leave them in the past. He's going to turn his focus directly to us. <clears throat> so in verse 12, he says, take care, brothers. Now he's talking directly to us, isn't he? Don't, don't fall into the same problem that they did. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This, this little graphic uh, on the screen behind me encapsulates, I think, what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell us here in verses 12 through 14. We get a hard heart just like they got a hard heart. You know how they did it? The, the formula for getting a hard heart is to see God's power. On full display. Have you seen it? Have you seen it in your own life? Have you seen God's power in your own life to convict you of sin, to save you, to help you stay righteous? Have you seen that in your own life? These people had. I think we have too. I think, I think His power has been on as clear display to us as it was to the wilderness generation. And so He says, if you've seen His power, but you still refuse to trust in them, eventually something starts happening in your heart and it turns into stone. You stop trusting. So if you've seen his power, but you refuse to trust him, your heart turns into stone. It's a hardened heart. Pharaoh did that, didn't he? You go back through and you read his story in Exodus. He had seen God's power. The Nile turning into blood, that should have set him back on his heels. What did he do? I've got magicians that can do that. And then the frogs and the flies, I've got magicians that can do that. He had seen God's power, but he didn't trust him. He didn't fear him. So his heart started turning into stone, didn't it? Hearts can do the same thing. Maybe trusting isn't resonating with you like it should. If you've seen his power but you're not acting in such a way so as to make your life in line with His will, your heart's going to eventually get turned into stone. If you're doing something right now that you know is wrong, eventually your heart will get turned into stone. And you're not going to, it's going to be more difficult even for Him to convict you of, of what you're doing as wrong. He never got across to Pharaoh. Let that sink in for a second. After ten plagues and all the conversations that Moses and Aaron had with Pharaoh, he never got it. I don't know if he ever got it when the Red Sea came crashing down on his army. I don't know if he ever got it. That's the power of a hardened heart. 
So the Hebrew writer says, be careful. Take care, brothers. Because we don't, lest there be in, in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Who, who's the living God? In the book of Hebrews, the living God, I think, always refers to Jesus himself. 